So we see them everywhere. Billboards, commercials, signs, mailers, emails. I'm talking, of course, about discounts. And today we're going to talk about a number of different alternatives that you can take to lowering your prices. All this and more on The Rightly Show. It's the program that helps you start and grow a brand-centric online business through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas McGee and this is The Rightly Show. Okay, so there's a pretty good chance that you've received some sort of mailer or coupon or email or you've probably seen commercials before about the discounts that a number of different companies are offering. So today what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the concept of discounts, why I'm generally against them, and some alternatives, some creative ways that we can begin the process of building and growing a business on the web and doing that through offering value as opposed to reducing the prices of the things that we offer. But first, what I wanted to do is take a little bit of time to tell you about a new free video that we have available over at Rightly TV. So if you haven't already checked this out, I highly recommend it. It's a video that walks you through step by step how to set up WordPress hosting. I know that I've talked about this a little bit in the past, but if you don't already have a WordPress host, you're going to want to go ahead and check that out. One of the other things I wanted to mention as well is that we are just now, or we have just recently released a new theme over at Notable Themes that we are really excited about. So if you didn't already know this, I'm not only a founder of Rightly & Company, where we build and and custom tailor WordPress websites, but we also offer a number of all-inclusive WordPress solutions that you can jump in there and customize yourself. These have been themes that we've built from the ground up that have been Uh, done in partnership with a number of people who are already building million and multi-million dollar brands on the web. Uh, So the latest one that we've created is called the Platform Theme, and it's been created in partnership with Michael Hyatt's Platform University. Really excited about this. If you'd like to learn more about the Platform Theme and all the things that we have included in there, head on over to notableplatform.com. We also have a demo up and running of this new theme that we're really excited about, which you can check out at demo.notableplatform.com. But if you'd like to learn more, head on over to notableplatform.com or you can find a link to it in today's show notes over at rightly.show slash 80. Again, that's rightly.show slash 80. Have a question for the program? Call 844-RIGHTLY to record your question and we would be happy to consider featuring it in a future episode. That's 844-744-4859 or 844-RIGHTLY. If you would rather write in, feel free to email show at rightlydesigned.com. Okay, so today we're going to be talking all about discounts and why I'm generally against them. Uh, Before I get into kind of some of the main pieces I was going to touch on, first I'm going to kick it over to Casey. I'm going to put you on the spot, Casey, and just kind of get some of your initial thoughts on the concept of discounts. What's been your experience or what are your initial thoughts? thoughts just conceptually on the topic of discounts so as a consumer i love discounts because i get things i want for free and there are you know certain holidays and events where companies will traditionally like offer some type of discount for service so you know the big ones are you know black friday right after thanksgiving memorial day new year fourth of july 
companies and brands all the time leverage the popularity and the you know reach of those holidays to offer discounts on their products and that is a pricing strategy that sometimes works and that a company can use but you know on as a consumer I like it but I have been trained to look forward to those. And so there are some brands that never offer discounts. And so when they do a launch or they come out with a new product, I am more inclined to get it right away versus like waiting for some discount in the future because the likelihood of that is pretty low. So as a consumer, I think discounts, I think a great example of that would uh, The Rock has a collection with Under Armour and the items sell out. And so when they release a new, you know, uh, wave of the collection, I'm not going to wait for a discount because I am trained as a consumer that there is scarcity involved, like only so many sweatshirts or, you know, workout shorts or whatever are going to be available. And so your audience, when you're thinking about them and doing your research, they are price sensitive to a degree and you need to make sure that the value you're delivering exceeds the price and that value is so many different aspects um and i want to like take a beat to talk about that thomas how do you perceive or how do you understand or describe value in terms of what you're delivering to a customer yeah i think the value is that is essentially the transformation that it provides to the person to the end person so what is the change that it makes for them now, sometimes this can be on a different scale or level, like, for example, a Netflix subscription technically has value, but not really in the sense that it makes you a different person, per se. It doesn't, like, solve a, a massive problem in, in your life. It's more like they're as a value add for entertainment. Whereas somebody who is going to change your oil or fix your sink or something like that, there's a tangible value. It makes your life measurably better to have that thing done. So I think the the actual way that we can actually uh, measure value is in the way that we we can measure that transformation. I think this is a big place where a lot of digital creators fall down as well because one of the things that you'll see all the time is like, you know, people who are selling an online course and say, yeah, it comes with like 70, 72 videos and it's, uh, you know, 15 hours of content. It's like, well, A, I don't, like that's actually for me that would be that would dissuade me from buying it one, and two, uh, I don't care about the videos or the content. What I care about is when I from the time when I start this series to the time when I end, what's the difference going to be? What are what are the measurable results? Uh, particularly if it's a B two B type class, you know. It, what are the changes that are going to occur in my business? What's the improvement? That sort of thing. So I think that's a really important distinction to make uh, in terms of value. Value isn't necessarily the quantity, but it is the actual change that it provides to the person who is receiving it. I think it's a great description. And in thinking about physical products, you know, with, you know, for The Rock, for example, part of the value is the brand. And so the brand of Under Armour and the brand of The Rock. And then it's also the quality of the material and like how long lasting it is, how, you know, if it's workout shorts or a sweatshirt or whatever, how is that, you know, uh, how in, is it helping me perform better or, you know, <laughs> lasting through an intense workout? And so in thinking about the value and how to, pr how to price something, what are some of the dangers of utilizing a discount strategy? 
I think you actually touched on that a little bit earlier, which is a great point in the sense that you train your customers to look for that discount. Because here's the thing, like I am not 100% against discounts, but I, I am for discounts in a particular way. So like something that we've done before at Notable Themes, we'll probably do again in the future, is that we will actually launch a product at a price that is lower than the price that it is intended to be. Now, that's not a traditional discount. All that it, technically what it is, is that what we're going to do is eventually we're going to ra- raise the price to something that's higher than it is when we first start. We do that to incentivize people to jump in early. Uh, also, there's sometimes, but not always, there's a beta level uh, to the product that we're releasing in the sense that it's been tested, but not widely amongst a lot of people. And so for that reason, we'll we'll lower the price to start with, or we'll start with, or a better way to put it is to start with a lower price. But I think one of the biggest mistakes that you see out there is that people will use a price decrease as the sole reason in which somebody should buy. So like you said earlier, to circle back around, what that means is you're training your prospects and your customers to look for a discount, to hold off until you lower your price. Plus, not to mention the fact that once you start turning the attention to the price, what you end up with, it, you you start becoming, whether intentional or not, what you start to become is a commodity. Because what that means is that as people are going to start comparing, people are going to naturally, since you're focusing on price, the customer is going to start focusing on price. And that's going to naturally lead them to start looking at your competitors and comparing you by price. Whereas if you're focusing upon the things that they cannot get at your competitors or with people who offer something similar to what you're offering, not only are you going to get more sales, but you're going to be able to charge a higher price and at the same time uh, receive a lot less resistance to that higher price. As a brand who's making you know a product, whether it's digital or or physical, how do we approach or how can we add more value to to our products without you know how do we, how do we maintain that a a positive, you know, value price ratio without focusing on price. Like how do we, how do we increase the value of, of what we're trying to offer in order to maintain that positive relationship? Part of it, I think has to do with, uh, part of it has to do with understanding the customer that you're working with and the type of product and service that you're offering. So that's going to impact it pretty heavily. But the other piece of it is that you have to start to look at the intangibles You know, it's like, I know we use them as an example quite frequently, but like if you walk into an Apple retail store, it's dramatically different than walking into a Target. Target, you're going to be able to find a lot of things on clearance. Uh, In the Apple retail store, they may have like a few iPhone cases on clearance, but generally nothing is on sale. In fact, everything is ridiculously more expensive than it is in Target, particularly Uh, Things like cables and adapters, which I will sometimes buy there if I'm in a pinch. But the whole idea there is just something like the way that the retail store is created and laid out. You as a consumer walking in there are already aware of the fact that things are going to cost more simply because of the way the store looks. So there's little context cues that you can provide uh, in terms of setting people up for success in the, in terms of purchasing your, your products. And at this, at the end of the day as well, 
The fact that they charge more typically makes sense because the products that they offer are A, proprietary, and B, they are a higher level of quality. I mean, every time I buy an Apple laptop, it lasts anywhere from seven to 10 years. I usually end up giving it away way sooner than I, you know, by the time I actually get a new laptop. Whereas I've got friends, and I'm not saying this is the case in all cases, but I've got plenty of friends who have Windows machines that end up breaking down two, three years after they buy them. Not always, but just in my experience. So, and a lot of that depends on the particular manufacturer. I realize there's more out there than just one retailer that offers Windows machines. But at the end of the day, I think the cliche is true when when you say that you get what you pay for. So your original question was, how do you add more value? And so what that can come down to for you, uh, you know, and a lot of it can be based upon if you're a service-based business or if you offer digital products, is the experience that you provide for your customers. Because at the end of the day, nine times out of 10, a purchase is an emotional decision, not a logical one. Unless you're hiring a plumber and you just need to get this thing fixed, like if you're going into an Apple retail store, if you're going into a Target, if you're going into a JCPenney's, if you're going into a restaurant, a lot of times a purchase is an emotional-based decision. For example, somebody would ask the question, well, how is an online course that teaches me how to build my email list an emotional decision, like a, an emotional purchasing decision? And the answer is, well, you want the feeling of being able to know that you have a growing and thriving business because of an email list that's going to enable you to grow and build that business. A lot of it comes back down to the emotion of the result that will be provided through the course. And so that's why everything that you can pack into the purchasing and to the actual experience of the product itself uh, that is above and beyond what other people offer, the better. So it's a difference between the ambiance and say a five-star restaurant and like an Applebee's, that sort of thing. But those type of things, little things, the wow factor as it's typically known as, uh, are some specific ways that you can actually add more value and charge higher prices at the same time. Exactly. We always remember how people and how brands make us feel. And so there's definitely a different feeling of walking into a Target to, you know, purchase an adapter or, you know, a headphone jack or something that you need versus walking into the Apple store. Um, And I think, you know, you use the Windows example, the Microsoft store totally ripped off Apple's, you know, store design and layout for that exact reason. it, you know, five star, it's the open format, the products all on display. And so you, you know, in addition to providing an environment that is just at a higher caliber, you're also like experiencing a higher level of customer service as part of that experience. You feel taken care of, you feel uh, more important and valued. When you go to a five-star restaurant, part of what you're paying for is that experience. Um, my wife and I had celebrated our anniversary a couple of months ago. We went to this extremely, you know, nice restaurant. Um, and, you know, the service was fantastic. We felt very cared for. And so when it came time to pay the rather large tab at the end, um, like it, we felt fine about it because of how they made us feel. Like we didn't go for, we didn't go to that restaurant because they had the cheapest steak in town. We went because they had the best steak in town. And part of what 
is involved in that steak is not only the quality of the food, um, you know, the cut of the meat and how it's prepared and how it's present, but also how it's presented, the plate, the silverware, um, you know, how it's arranged on the plate itself with, you know, asparagus and Bernays sauce and all of that. And then also like how the server brings it from the kitchen to the table, how you feel when you walk in the door, all of these different aspects of the experience and the presentation of the product of the steak itself contributes to the value of what we're paying for versus going to an Applebee's, which is totally fine. I like Applebee's. Uh, try their quesadilla burger. It's delicious. Um, but that's an entirely different experience. Um, even though like you might be consuming the same product of a steak, it's not, it is not the same. Um, Thomas, when, when you're thinking about the, when you're trying to decide your pricing model for a product or for a service, uh, and you make the mistake of, you know, having that focus be on pricing and your customers are, you know, price sensitive to a degree. Like my wife and I don't go out to a five star restaurant every weekend. That's more of a once a year type of thing. Um, when you're, when your customers are price sensitive, how can you veer the, the conversation you're having or the interaction that you're having with your customer away from price towards value? Yeah, it, there's there's one thing that you can do, and you have to be really careful with this because obviously it has to be true. A and B, uh, it needs to it needs to be something that can be you know measured, and that is one of the things I've I've seen in a lot for a lot of online courses. Particularly, this this applies more if you're going more B two B, but also if you've got you know services that you provide, and that is asking your target your target customer what this would cost to not do this. Whereas a lot of people, it's just a kind of inherent in our, in our psyche, in our culture, is that we're not very long-term thinkers unless it's something that, like, we're a lot, a lot less likely to jump in to be a part of something. We're a lot less likely to jump in to be a part of something as opposed to jump in to avoid missing out on something. So sometimes when you actually... Uh, can portray your products or services in that way, the better. What this does, and there's some people that have used this pretty deceptively and you have to be careful with it. But what this question does is it, it allows you to go backwards and to illustrate through that point and through that question, the exact value that you are going to provide. So let's provide an actual example. So I'll use notable themes as an example, because we've mentioned this at times in some of the webinars and workshops that we've done at Notable Themes. And the question is, you know, if we've come out like the platform theme I talked about earlier or uh, the landing theme, which is one that is a squeeze page or landing page builder, all based upon WordPress. So that's a product. So one of the, the questions I've asked, particularly on a workshop or a webinar in the past is, okay, so what would it cost you um, to get these this same level of products or services, or what what would it cost you to not go through and get Notable Pro, which comes with all these uh, website building tools? And so then what I do is I start to outline not only what it would cost to go and get these uh, something somewhat similar to you know these tools somewhere else, but then I also would outline the actual cost associated with that, the the thousands of dollars you'd have to pay a web developer to apply this or that. 
And then you have to start working in there as well. Uh, something that is even more important, which is that missed opportunity cost. So for example, if somebody has a website and they don't have a place anywhere on that website for somebody to sign up for their email list, every single website visitor that hits that website is a potential lost opportunity in the sense that because they're not getting onto that list, because they're not you know, signing up or hearing about what you have, even if it's just one a day, uh, over a year, that's a massive amount. It's 365 people who could have turned into sales later on. And so that's why, you know, every day that passes by with somebody who is using a website that does not have the fundamental pillars of what will actually help grow a business is actually costing them. So focusing on things like that, even the negative aspects that uh, your product or service helps solve can actually be one of the ways that you can add to the value of what, or you can just help explain what the value actually is to the things that you provide. So again, to kind of, to underscore and recap again, I've seen this tactic used very badly in the past before, like people who sell insurance. I mean, what will it cost you not to buy this insurance? So you have to be really careful with it and it does get used kind of in a sleazy way. But I think if you can be honest and use it as a way to highlight some things, some pain points or some potential problems down the road, it can actually not only be an effective marketing tool, but more importantly, it can actually be an effective way to educate your potential customer about what you do and why you do it. Earlier, you mentioned a pricing tactic of having introductory pricing. So if you're launching a new product or a new service or a beta version of something, having a a introductory pricing, not a reduced pricing or a discount, but a lower price than what you would offer for this once it once the full launch is done. What are what are besides some addition, some initial sales and some additional revenue, what are some other benefits of having that introductory pricing? Yeah, the introductory pricing is a great way to like this. It encourages behavior, right? In the sense that you, you made that, that point very early on about the way that, you know, lowering your price or offering discounts encourages a particular behavior, which is to sit back and wait until you offer another discount. Whereas, the, the behavior that you encourage by offering a starting price that is lower than the regular price is it encourages people to act quickly uh, because we just do live in a day and age where people will put everything off until the last second. And so the more incentives that you can provide early for people to jump in, the better. Plus, and this is really interesting as well and something that I've seen not only with you know kind of my own business but with some of the businesses that I work with as well, is that some of the longest, some of the best customers you're ever going to get are going to be the early adopters. And the more you can encourage a, a what you would consider average customer to become one of those early adopters, the more excited they're going to be about what you're creating in the future. Like for example, think about if you got an email tomorrow from a company you liked and they uh, and it was an email about some software that you already or a product or you know a book uh, that you already knew about, but they were just offering a discount. Like let's uh, I'll go ahead and offer an actual example. Um, so there's a uh, so there is a a website uh, specific line of books out there 
that I'm trying to remember the actual name of it, but they've, they offer a whole bunch of different um, books that are on a number of different topics specific to building websites, right? So they, uh, they offer things on, you know, CSS, SAS, PHP, design fundamentals, running a design business, things like that. So a lot of more creative trades. And they're pretty regularly partnering with authors to publish new, really short books that are a part of the series that they're, you know, that's ever expanding. If I were to get an email from them telling me that, uh, you know, this book that was written a while back was 50% off, I can tell you right now, I would not care. Like they're already pretty affordable. I just, I wouldn't care. But if they tell me, which they do, if I get an email from them uh, that, you know, this new book is coming out on the topic of design patterns, I don't care about the price. I care about the book. I'd be interested in that. It's a new thing. It's a new value add. So you don't necessarily have to do the same thing in terms of constantly coming out with new products. I don't mean that, but highlighting the value in different ways, whether it's adding a new bonus uh, or whether it's adding a new course or, you know, coaching calls with you, new value is going to pique someone's attention far more than just a discount, uh, you know, of something that people already know about. One of the things that I'm curious about, or I think that our listeners will be curious about, is how can you add value without adding too much extra work? And so let's say you provide a service or you're building a product. How can you add value that for, that increases it so there's a greater like positive margin to the user, to your client, your customer, without adding like an equal amount of work for you. So let's say you've built out this course and it's got, you know, five modules in it with three lessons each. So you've got 15, you know, lessons that you've, you know, created all this value around. What are some things you can add to that product without it requiring the same level of work as like actually creating, you know, all of the, um, you know, content for that course? Yeah, totally. So there's some things that you can do and some things that I've done and then some clients I've worked with have done. What you can actually do, there's some creative ways that you can actually repurpose things that you've already created in the past. So ebooks, PDFs, blog posts, podcast episodes, you can actually take those, repackage them into a standalone bonus item that you offer as an extra extra value add to the thing that you're providing. And one of the questions that I've heard come up pretty regularly as well is, Okay, so I get the concept of offering bonuses and even time-sensitive bonuses that disappear over, you know, after a certain amount of time. But you know what? What bonuses should I have? And I've, I've noticed this not only myself, but again with a lot of the customer or clients that I've worked with, the best bonuses that you offer are the ones that directly uh, address specific concerns or objections that people have. So I've saw, I saw this done really well a while back by Jeff Walker. So Jeff Walker offers something called the product launch formula. Uh, it's definitely a higher end uh, online course and coaching program that he offers. And one of the, the biggest questions or objections that he got to the course, because it's all about launching a product specifically through the power of an email list. So one of the biggest objections that they got over and over again uh, was yeah, that's all great and fine, but I don't have an email list yet. Like I don't even, I've got, a, I've got zero subscribers. Uh, and so he created a separate online course that showed you step-by-step how to start building an email list from zero. And he offered that as a bonus. So 
the more that you can say, so, cause that's one of the things that a lot of people fall into is like, Oh, here's a random PDF checklist or here's, you know, uh, this other thing that I created. So it is nice when you can actually find something that you can repurpose that you've already created before. However, the more that you can tailor something that will actually address those initial concerns of your potential uh, target customers, the better. But to address the the initial point that you were that you were addressing regarding time, at the end of the day, it's just going to take a little bit of extra time. But here's what you can do: you can just do it progressively. Like let's say your first launch, you create maybe one or two extra bonuses. The great thing about launches is that you can do them over and over again. So on that second launch, you can add to it two or three bonuses. You know, launch number three, quarter three, you can do, you can add three or four more and you can maybe even improve upon some of the other bonuses that were already there. So part of it is just doing what you can with the time that you have and then adding to it, you know, as as time goes on and just continually, continually creating kind of that vault of free resources that you have available. I think that's a great build on the idea of the introductory pricing. And if you've got like a beta or initial version one of a course, and then as you go, you're, you know, you are improving the course, you're, you know, answer those, you're answering questions and additional problems. And one of the other benefits that we didn't really touch on when you have that introductory pricing and you get some early adopters who will often be some of your best customers in that they're providing feedback to your product or service, ways you can improve it. And then the next time you launch or the next time you do, you know, a, a wave of outreach to new clients is you're able to better address those problems because not only have they given you greater awareness to the problems that you need to, you know, hopefully solve for them, but also the verbiage because, you know, uh, if you've ever been, you know, reading a book or listening to, you know, a talk like a TED talk or at a conference, listening to a seminar or on a webinar, and you just feel like, the person understands you like they're speaking your language. It's because they are. It's because they've been listening to their customers, to their audience and using their words, using their customers and their audience's words to reach you as part of their audience, not using them against you, um, but like using them to communicate and resonate with you. I think that so often that's why as like a student, I was really frustrated in college classes because, you know, the professor is a high level academic, they're an expert in their field, but they don't know how to speak to me. And so I was had like every different class I took, whether it was, you know, marketing or chemistry or English literature, I'm every time I'm switching classes, I'm having to shift and like force my brain to relate to the professor and the words that they're using instead of like, if I was on the flip side, I would be wanting to be speaking the language of my students, not necessarily like slang and talking about like how something is so legit or whack or whatever, but like speaking to them in their own terms, because then they will be better able to resonate and connect with what I'm talking about and the value that I'm trying to deliver and communicate to them and help them through that transition. Um, Thomas, we've been talking a bit about, um, you know, how orienting around pricing can have negative drawbacks when you're trying to, you know, convert a lead to a customer or a lead to a client and how, you know, heavily leveraging discounts, um, 
can lead to, you know, training your leads to have bad behavior of always expecting a discount because like it's kind of like going to Walmart where everything's always on sale. Like what's the real price of something, you know, and then it also like it's it's almost as if you are diminishing the level of integrity and trust your customers have with you so that when they see something that's a regular price, they're like, well, that's going to be on sale next week, you know, or like what's the real price or whatever. Um, there's also this idea of a race to the bottom that Seth Godin often talks about. Could you expand on what that idea is? Yeah, totally. And I think Walmart is a great example because that's what a lot of people will do is still like, I've got a little, a little shop, you know, downtown and this and that. And I'll say, well, Walmart does it. What's well, like, yeah, that's Walmart. And you really want to compete on that level. It's like, you're not going to win the race to the bottom Seth Godin talks about quite a bit, and there's other people out there who talk about a variation of this, but the whole idea here is that you are watering down what you offer, A, to be cheaper, and B, to appeal to the widest number of people possible. Uh, And what that leads to is this race, exactly as Casey mentioned, to the bottom. And so the, the thing that Seth Godin always says is that, you know, though, you know, you might actually come in first or worse, come in second, at which point what you end up with is really the worst possible types of customers and clients that you can have. People who aren't really invested in what you're doing and why you're doing it is coming to you because you are faster and cheaper. There's actually a term I like to use quite a while back, particularly when it came to design, which is fast food design, which is that you know hiring a designer who would put the emphasis on being the fastest and the cheapest and not the best. I think the more that you can start to focus on being the best and by best, I mean, to the particular audience that you're trying to reach, you don't have to necessarily be the absolute best designer in the world. And the great thing is that you but you you can be the best to a small group of people. So a lot of it comes down to and there are things that we've talked about like this before, but it comes down to creating something that you want to create for people who want to receive it, something that is actually you know worth creating. It's the difference between having a handful of high paying, fun to work with clients who enjoy the type of work that you do and having a hundred different submissions that you've made to a logo design contest to people you don't know uh, doing work that is at its absolute fastest and cheapest possible, hoping that you'll churn out enough work to get by. One's miserable and creates the worst possible type of work, the race to the bottom. The other goes the exact opposite direction, helps you create the best work possible with the people for whom it will have the greatest impact. So that's kind of the differences there. But yeah, it's a it's a really important point to to bring up in terms of you know the difference between racing to be uh, a category of one as opposed to a race to the bottom. I think part of what we struggle with as you know entrepreneurs and you know uh, professionals in our different industries and trades is actually owning and having confidence in our own value. And so, like I've you know talked with other clients and entrepreneurs who are releasing a product or a service, and they're r- very hesitant and scared about you know pricing their product at like what it's worth. I was working with this particular client who was launching her first uh, digital course, and she was having me look over her sales page, and I got to the point where it said the price, and I like stopped in the middle of my review and like immediately texted her, and I was like, "You need." 
to double this price right now because price communicates value. If you have something priced too cheaply, people aren't going to show up. If I had gone to that you know five-star restaurant and I saw the prices were the same as Applebee's, some I would think something would be up. Like I'm not going to come like something is mismatched here. Something is you know wrong. Am I unpunked? Um, in the same way as if I go to Applebee's and the prices are super high, I'm like, are these people crazy? Like what's I don't, there's, there's a mismatch there. So price communicates value. And, uh, in, so, and in that case with, you know, this, this friend of mine, this client I was working with, they were really scared and worried about having the price at that point because they didn't know if people were going to buy it. This was their initial launch. This was their introductory launch. Um, and so my question for you is how do we overcome the, the tendency or the insecurity of wanting to price things low so that more people will buy, how do we own our own value and then, you know, pick a price and stick with it? Yeah. The, the biggest, the, the best way you're going to be able to do this and it's going to work better the earlier you start, but is to be very intentional and strategic with brand. You need to actually, even if you're just a, a single individual offering a service you know, if you're a freelancer uh, or if you are an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter what category you're in, uh, in terms of the scale of your business or the market that you're working in, brand is going to be what's at the heart of this. And so there is that aspect that you're talking about, Casey, where that you have to reach a point where you feel comfortable charging enough. And there's some really practical aspects to, you have to kind of do some research and time and, and weigh out, you know, how much this should charge uh, particularly with, you know, comparing it to, you know, the, the actual transformation that you're providing, how valuable, like what dollar s- a symbol you could put, like what dollar amount you could put on that. So you do have to go through the process of figuring that out. But by focusing first on brand, on what is the promise that I'm going to make, like, what is it? What is it? The ch- what is the change, the transformation? What is the promise I am making to my target customers that is going to be uh, shown in every different type of product and service that I create. Even if you if you only offer one service, then that's fine. If you offer a whole line of products, same thing applies. First, you have to understand what is the promise that I'm making to these people and how am I going to deliver on that promise? Because that's at the core of what a brand is. Once you start to uh, you start to get familiar with the type of brand that you are building, good brands uh, are naturally things that you can and will charge more for. So in the case of like this online course, if you're just first starting out and establishing your brand, the first like, and we've given this uh, this advice in the past, but I, I love the idea of just seeing the price and doubling it. And especially hearing that from somebody else who knows and is familiar with the market or the person who is offering the product. So that's a great place to start. Double the price. What I always like to mention, and I think I mentioned this before, is if you don't have anybody else to give you the advice to double your price, just raise it to a point where you feel uncomfortable. So I know we've talked about that before, but just raise it to a point where you feel uncomfortable first starting out. But what you need to do, what's really important, is start focusing upon that building that actual brand of the business that you're trying to create. Because that brand is what people are going to associate with a higher level of product or service that is going to enable you to charge more. So for example, 
Marriott or let's, you know, Hyatt Hotels or something like that. Uh, or we could even think of, you know, like Kohl's or yeah, a department store. Any, just think of any kind of brand that you don't really associate much with. Like we can use, I always use Marriott Hotels. So we'll just stick with Marriott Hotels. If they were to raise their prices randomly above like uh, the Hyatt Hotel and just, you know, put it out there, they're not going to get any more sales because all that's going to, because the customers who are going there are sorting by price on Travelocity or Expedia most of the time. And they're just going to fall out of the results. Whereas people are going to go to the Ritz-Carlton because it has a brand that people associate with quality. So the earlier you can start to build a brand that people associate with a particular style, type, quality, and craftsmanship of work, the sooner you can start charging more. Uh, But very early on, just make sure that you are uncomfortable with your prices. And beyond that, as you start getting comfortable with charging more, Uh, And particularly when your demand starts to go up, um, make it a point to charge more than your competitors. Uh, I know this seems counterintuitive to a lot of people. If you're going to focus on price, particularly if you're trying to position yourself as a higher level brand, charge more. In fact, I've I've actually said that particularly to different you know people who've been interested in having us build websites for them. I said, yeah, these developers charge this much over here, this much over here. I was like, yeah, and then, you know, I flat out told people that this is the price. We specifically intentionally charge more, not only because the demand is higher for the type of work that we do, but also because the level of work we do isn't something that you can find anywhere else. So that's a lot of different pieces to the puzzle. But one of the things I want to mention is just as you're going through, A, be very intentional with the brand that you're trying to build. Make sure it's solid, it's solidified in people's minds, uh, particularly when you're starting out. As you start to charge uh, for the particular products and services that you offer, if you're going to focus on price, focus on charging more, not less. Um, But as always, make sure that if you're going to do that, you have something that really distinguishes you from, uh, from the other brands that are out there that people can choose from. Okay. So that's all we got for you today. We'd like to thank Casey for joining us today. As always, you can visit Casey over at caseyproctor.com. If you found today's episode useful, uh, feel free to head on over to rightly.show or over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We always do appreciate it. Until next week, go out there and create a brand that is truly rightly designed. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the program. If you found it useful, please take a quick moment to leave us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or the medium of your choosing.